This is Patrick Henningsen, and you're listening to On the QT at 21wire.tv. Accessing confidential data. Hi, I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is On the QT at 21 wire.tv thanks for joining us for this fortnightly episode uh the first part is going to be broadcast at 21stcenturywire.com and also on soundcloud and at the alternate current radio network that's acr and then after the 30 minute mark we will take a short station break but then the full show will be available for members and subscribers uh at 21wire.tv so if you want to have access to the full podcast uh, you want to go over and look to subscribe at 21wire.tv uh, for this and other premium content for our members, including uh, video content and a new show uh, called Insight, uh, which we're slowly rolling out as well for members only. Uh, we'll get to see those shows first and in some cases uh, get to see uh, the, the full entire show only at 21wire.tv. We meant to have this program out a little bit earlier in the week. Uh, normally comes out midweek, Tuesday and Wednesday, but it was a very busy news week. Uh, last week, rolling into this week, uh, it was just one thing after another uh, going into last weekend. We did cover this on the Sunday Wire show at ACR. That's our weekly omnibus uh, three-hour talk radio show every Sunday live uh, here at 21stCenturyWire.com and also at ACR. We covered the Istanbul attacks uh, going into the weekend. That was a major event, uh, a fairly big production uh, in Istanbul. And that was followed almost immediately by a car bomb in Baghdad, which killed 200 people. Uh, was a serious attack um, and tragic, to say the least. And we believe anyway, and I think I'm not alone, uh, this was designed to to reignite sectarian division in Iraq and also to uh, further uh, the narrative that uh, the Iraqi security situation is beyond the control of the Iraqis themselves and therefore they require a foreign intervention. That came right on the heels of Istanbul. And then more or less at the same exact time, I think this was on Monday, um, there was a, well, we're told anyway, there was a triple suicide bomb attack in Saudi Arabia, and uh, it's, it's very hard to get really good reports on this. Obviously, being in Saudi Arabia, it's kind of a closed society, and everything is controlled uh, in terms of media and uh, law enforcement, police, to an extreme degree. So I don't know if we'll ever get the, the accurate or full story as to what exactly happened there. Uh, triple suicide bomb attack, one opposite the U.S. consulate in Jeddah, and uh, two other targets. Very dodgy, I would say, this event. I'm not sure exactly what we're looking at there. So that that was just calming down. And uh, then the Chilcot report was released in the UK. This was the uh, the long-awaited, decade-long, two million, two and a half million word report uh, regarding the Iraq War. And was there lying? Was there uh, dodgy dossiers? Uh, did Tony Blair and his crew lie their way uh, into one of the worst military 
uh, and geopolitical debacles in modern history. Well, according to this two million word report, uh, I guess sort of a little a little chastisement, a little graze on the wrist. But otherwise, uh, off you go, Tony. You can go and make your millions. We covered that in detail uh, on the UK Column News. Uh, I posted that episode as a news program I did with Brian Garish up at 21stCenturyWire.com. I do encourage people to go watch that episode because we did give a kind of a rehash or summary of this issue of intelligence uh, going up to Iraq. And a lot of people say, well, of course, we know all that, and that's old hat. But you have to remember... Uh, what they presented last week in the Chilcot report was basically a whitewash. It was a two million word whitewash of history. And it did its best to basically avoid uh, getting into some of the really obvious and pithy issues uh, regarding the systemic uh, institutional corruption that exists between branches of government and the intelligence services. Uh, and the col- the corporate collusion that exists, which is probably the real pretext uh, for the Iraq War, uh, which was the commercial beneficiaries of that conflict. Uh, we did break that down in, in pretty good detail in a sort of 50-minute broadcast uh, with UK Column News. So that was happening, and just as we were getting our head around that, uh, I get reports on uh, Thursday evening about uh, another uh, major uh, domestic incident in the United States. And mind you, we had covered the Orlando uh, uh, production a couple of weeks ago. I call it a production because the more you look at the Orlando event, the more it looks like it was kind of a very elaborate media production. Uh, And we covered that on a previous episode as well. You can go back and search for any of those articles at 21stCenturyWire.com. It's about a half a dozen of them. I think they'll give you a good taste of uh, uh, what was going on in Orlando. So what happened on Thursday night? Well, something happened in Dallas. And uh, we're told anyway, well, this is the story. So two men, uh, Alton Sterling from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, killed. Uh, Interesting, this was live-streamed. well, the aftermath, anyway, was live-streamed by the uh, girlfriend or wife of Alton Sterling. Uh, this was a police uh, apparently killed him while he was sitting in his car at a, what, a traffic stop over a broken taillight. This is Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So this is a black man, African-American man, and his partner uh, and victim. Uh, so we're told of uh, this police uh, incident, police brutality, police violence. And then Philando... Castile from St. Paul, Minnesota. It's just uh, next to Minneapolis. And another uh, similar event uh, uh, killed, I guess, by police. Uh, I'm not sure of the actual details of how that went down, but uh, suffice to say, uh, protesters up in arms. And uh, so a march was planned. Black Lives Matter uh, is a activist group in America that uh, is protesting uh, on behalf of uh, blacks who are victims of police violence. So Dallas, Thursday night, a march was planned, which I, I don't understand why it was planned in Dallas when these two shootings took place in these two other cities, but let's just accept it. 
and uh, downtown Dallas, about 800 people. Not that it's not that big of a march, actually. Uh, pretty small, um, fairly contained event, uh, and somehow there was a huge police presence out for these uh, only 800 people. It's, I, th- I think it was around 800 people. Uh, unusually large uh, police presence uh, anyway in Dallas for such a few amount of people. Anyway, the stage was set, uh, and initial reports were there were three to four snipers who had shot and killed, get this, five police officers uh, and wounded a further seven, I believe. So that's 12 in total uh, casualties, five dead, five police officers from the Dallas uh, PD. This is the story. This is the plot. So a conspiracy, no less. Uh, And then we're told that uh, the uh, fourth suspect, uh, whose uh, name is Mika X Johnson, or Mika Xavier Johnson, or Micah Xavier Johnson, however you pronounce it. But the media, uh, very interesting, uh, the media rushed to brand uh, this gunman, uh, the fourth suspect who was held up in the uh, uh, top floor of a parking garage at one of the universities downtown in Dallas, and they called him Mika, Mika X. So this was a, a, an intentional uh, maneuver by the media to basically create a Malcolm X uh, sort of persona. And uh, immediately they had the black power fists in the air, militant photographs released, as if by magic, of course. These were always readily available in all cases, uh, whether it's a white uh, domestic extremist or uh, a a left-wing militant black uh, radical. So the narrative goes, and so what happens? Uh, He's holed up, he's he's telling the police, I don't know how, communicating with them, shouting, I guess. Uh, Oh, there's bombs everywhere, and so it becomes a terrorist event immediately. Uh, By this time, you know, the crowds have scattered all sorts of distractions in the media, uh, including a few uh, planted, it seems anyway, props. Uh, one of them was a, uh, a black man with an AR-15 strapped to his back wearing a camo camouflage outfit who was uh, supposedly just, you know, marching at the march, as you do, as you do at a left-wing rally with an AR-15 strapped to your back. Uh, okay, anyway... Uh, So anyway, lots of distractions by the media. So this guy, what do the police do? This is a a hostage situation. What does the Dallas police do? Uh, Apparently they made a risk assessment. This is the first time in U.S. history, by the way. What I'm going to tell you has never happened before. Uh, The police, were told, made a risk assessment. And uh, because there was such a danger to officers who had this guy pinned down, completely pinned down, um, they sent in a robot. Uh, who had a bomb and a robot who basically launched a grenade, got close to this guy and then just launched a grenade at him and then we're told that's it, he's dead. So he was executed by the police by a robot, okay? And not not a big deal has been made about this in the media, but I think this is probably, if not, is one of the top three, if not the most crucial details of this story, is that a precedent has been set, is that police now believe if their risk assessment uh, shows that law enforcement or somehow their lives are in danger, that they may summarily execute anybody 
who they deem a threat. So the irony here, you just can't, you just can't beat. So the protesters come out because of police violence against black people. And what do the police do? And mind you, I don't know. They don't know if this guy was the, was the shooter. They had him pinned down, but no ballistics reports have been done. No case, no investigation, no forensics have been done at all. They don't know at that point whether he was the shooter. What happens? They just decide, well, we're going to kill him, and we're going to kill him with a robot. Not by the hand of any police officer, any human, but a robot. Think about the implications of this for a minute. Think about some of the worst dystopian films that you've seen in Hollywood through science fiction where the machines are basically out executing people. Very cold, very impersonal. Does that not shock anybody? Because that should shock everybody, that little piece of detail. Of course, that should shock the media, but uh, for the most part, the U.S. media is staffed with Probably 99.9% of the uh, people are lobotomized and they won't, any of these sort of profound revelations will just go right, right past them. So that's interesting. So what, so I guess we're told anyway that this uh, guy's dead. Who is he? He's a U.S. military trained uh, uh, sniper. Okay. Or we're told anyway. Again, no forensic investigation has been done. The ballistics reports haven't been done. I don't know whether he's the shooter at this point. I'm sure they'll make make it out that he is regardless. Maybe he is. But we don't know, so we're only speculating uh, uh, what might be or what, what might not be. So, again, this follows a very similar pattern. Uh, ex-military, interesting. Ex-military and uh, other shooters of a similar background. Uh, If you remember back in 2002, if any of you out there are old enough to remember that year, uh, or your brain hasn't been wiped since that, uh, Lee Boyd Malvo, who was he, the DC sniper. And he went on a sniping rampage, uh, parked his car around Washington, D.C., around the terrorized the Beltway for weeks, um, drilled a hole in his back trunk, hid in the trunk, and just shot people, we're told anyway. That's what we're told. So he's ex-U.S. military. And uh, the guy's probably, he's been drugged up now for the best part of a decade. So then we also have the story in Texas, 1966, Charles Joseph Whitman. Who is he? That was an ex-U.S. Marine who got into, I believe, the, 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 the clock tower at the University of Texas, I believe in Austin, and uh, started just shooting people on campus. Killed 16, wounded 49, Charles Charles Joseph Whitman. So all of these shooters, of course, have to be referred to with their three names. This is one of the rules of media coverage. Uh, Charles Joseph Whitman, Lee Boyd Malvo, uh, Micah X, Xavier Johnson, uh, and so on and so forth. So this is interesting and more sniper uh, stories. So we looked at this sniper theme, and we discovered this, this is a very interesting theme, the sniper theme. Uh, 1984, uh, British policewoman Yvonne Fletcher, P. 
PC, PC Fletcher, uh, was shot and killed uh, in front of the Libyan embassy in St. James Square in London, 1984. This was during a, a standoff siege situation. That's what we're told anyway. And later we find out uh, from an independent investigation, looking at the ballistics reports, uh, that it wasn't possible. The official story just wasn't possible. And uh, that she was appeared to be shot by a highly trained marksman uh, using a military uh, issue weapon. So again, what happened there? Was she killed by a Libyan terrorist? No, uh, it doesn't appear to be that way. Uh, she was shot. And then a series of events unfolded after that. And that was also one of the things that helped to build up a, a case of public opinion against the country of Libya and Muammar Gaddafi in particular. And uh, the demonization of that uh, leader in that country, which built up and up and up and then came to a crescendo in uh, 2010 and 2011 when uh, the U.S. and its NATO and the U.K. mainly and France, actually three, U.S., U.K., France, and the NATO confab basically collapsed and crushed the whole nation and basically destroyed the actual country. So that, that was a, a project that was probably about 30 years in the making. So, again, it was the sniper event that uh, was, a, was a key catalyst uh, in that story. And we, there's another other sniper events as well uh, that have had profound political uh, and geopolitical effects. Uh, one of them we covered at 21st Century Wire. We have an article up on the Daily Shooter, which is entitled uh, Dallas Maidan. Dallas Maidan. And uh, it's looking at this, uh, how what this event is, but also how other similar sniper events uh, are used uh, in order to manipulate public opinion and eff- effectively to terrorize the public, uh, but also to set in motion a series of events. In in the Maidan in Kiev in 2014, uh, sn- snipers or shots were fired and protesters were killed uh, in Maidan Square during the so-called color, color revolution uprising there, uh, and police were killed. Later we find out that most of these shots, or all of these shots, actually came from one particular location, and that was a location held by the so-called opposition. I believe it was the right sector. And so the narrative was that uh, the uh, Viktor Yanukovych, the president at the time, uh, who was still holding on to his office uh, despite a, a U.S.-backed street opposition, uh, U.S. spent hundreds of millions of dollars um, developing a program of regime change for the Ukraine. This president was holding on. Uh, the police were protecting the government buildings. The protesters were moving closer and closer. Shots are fired. Protesters dead. Police dead. Uh, everybody blames the president Yanukovych's uh, special police force, the uh, internal uh, capital police there, the Burkut police. And uh, that was the narrative. And, uh, of course, the cries start traveling around the world in the usual quarters. Oh, you must step down. He must leave. Regime change. Regime change. And it also emboldened the mob who became uh, more incensed and uh, began you know, torching buildings and things and breaking into more government buildings. And pretty soon the president fled. But it was that, re- it was that sniper event which was the catalyst. Later we find out that this isn't that the official narrative of the sniper event. It wasn't his police. 
Uh, it was a third-party actor, a military-trained, most likely, and ex- ex- superb marksman, killing people, killing people from uh, a height, a good firing position. And look at, look at what happened afterwards. Look at how this event was used. Then we go to Syria, 2011, in Homs. And uh, there's talk of people on buildings shooting civilians, shooting police. Same story. Of course, this is spun in the West as uh, the Assad's brutal security forces were just uh, uh, killing people in the street willy-nilly or protesters, peaceful peaceful Arab Spring protesters, etc. Uh, you hear the simplistic uh, narrative lines over and over, repeated ad nauseum uh, by uh, the Western media, by by the New York Times, uh, by all the great so-called journalists uh, who love this this out-of-the-box uh, George Soros-sponsored narrative of the Arab Spring. Okay, snipers once again. So here we are in Dallas, same thing. Snipers shooting police. Black snipers. So how does this work out in terms of the narrative? Well, we will break that down. But first, uh, first, let's look at how the U.S. media are covering this story. Let's look at some of the popular uh, talking points coming out of the White House. Uh, so H- Hillary Clinton is running for president against, uh, well, it seems Donald Trump. Uh, and the election will be in November. And I said so many times, uh, and even on this podcast last episode, uh, this is going to be a very hot summer, a summer of gladio. A uh, summer of instability, and, and and we can tell you now a summer of uh, prefabricated fake uh, left versus right events. I think what the establishment want to do is they want to create another 1968, and they were hoping that people would create it on their own. But uh, in general, Americans have become the most important thing in the minds of Americans today is not really street agitation. I might it might seem like that. Uh, but they spend more time tweeting about it than actually doing it. But the most important thing for the average American today in 2016 is their smartphone. Uh, it's not getting out and, and protesting. It's not looking seriously at political issues. It's about um, how you look, uh, what sort of sneakers you're wearing, and what apps you've got on your smartphone. This is number one in uh Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay, if you understand what that is in in social psychology, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Number one, now in 2016, is my phone, my personal device. So, uh, with that in mind, with that obsession in mind, uh, the establishment have tried to bait the public into race wars, class wars. Uh, Lord knows the president has done his best to stoke up any sort of division. possible uh, that he could inject himself into, uh, whether it be class warfare, race warfare, whatever. People just aren't really going for it on the whole. So what they're hoping is that they can stage, they can create this, they can sort of uh, manufacture some sort of 1968 situation going into the uh, uh, Democratic and Republican national conventions this month and then into November. They can stage it and create it then maybe it will actually uh, manifest itself in, in terms of reality on the streets and we'll actually have you know, proper street warfare and proper race warfare. Uh, and so this is the hope, um, I think, of uh, those in power, 
that they can manufacture these situations. And with the help of the media, uh, they certainly have a good chance of, uh, of doing that. So let's look at some of the uh, narratives right now. Let's see. Uh, we've got uh, the Democrats uh, immediately blaming guns and blaming Republicans. Uh, this is just basically what I've sur- surveilled on CNN, which is a good uh, barometer of which way the propaganda winds are blowing. Uh, so Black, their Black Lives Matter and Michael Brown, uh, this is what Fox is saying. They're blaming the Michael Brown hoax of hands up, don't shoot, which never happened. Actually, that's probably true. Uh, so there's mythologies and narratives on both the left and the right, and these are very cleverly designed and propagated through media in order to get people on the right who identify themselves as liberal or uh, a minority or a Democrat to, to be at odds with uh, those who identify themselves as Republicans or conservatives. Uh, and then there's a whole set of mythologies and fake narratives for the Republicans and the conservatives as well, which is uh, that ISIS is planning an invasion of the United States and they're hiding out in Mexico uh, getting ready to pounce uh, on, on, on the state of Texas or something like this. Uh, so th- there's all sorts of crazy, um, you know, irrational, uh, f- synthetic uh, uh, narratives and, and dialectics for both the right and the left in America. And the idea is that if you can, if you can plug enough of these into people's brains on both sides, uh, then they'll always feel that they're going to be against each other on every issue. Um, so that's it. So, so it, I, if you're if you're a black uh, Democrat or you're a Democrat uh, and you want to make show that you're compassionate and you're siding with this uh, Black Lives Matter uh, protest um, group, um, then you automatically have to pretend that you're a, a, against the police, okay? Because you can't be you can't support any police officers, but uh, but support blacks at the same time. This is the fake dialectic. Uh, which they're trying to construct in America, and vice versa. If you're uh, self-identified as a uh, right-wing uh, Republican or a patriot or something like this, uh, and you support law enforcement and you're against these uh, left-wing radicals, well, you can't uh, be friendly or can't have any common cause uh, with with black people in America, and therefore you can't you can't have uh, you can't protest or criticize the police for shooting people. Uh, while they're on the ground, whether they're white or black, uh, because if you protested the police in that way, then that would be un-American or you'd be siding with the liberals, right? So this is a fake dialectic, and most people fall happily fall into this trap, actually. Uh, so Republicans, Fox, are saying the Democrats created Occupy Wall Street to combat the Tea Party. Again, another fake dialectic. Uh, that's kind of a childish statement, but yet this is what I saw on Fox. Um, and the point of Black Lives Matter is that no lives matter. There you go. And uh, Obama is supporting Black Lives Matter and uh, says its founders. Uh, Obama's kind of cozying up to these black activist groups to, to I, I guess, to curry favor. Obama's always seen street mobs uh, as a source of power, uh, which is evidenced by the fact that he allowed Al Sharpton uh, to hang out in the White House uh, so often over the last eight years. Uh, Al Sharpton is a professional agitator. So this is very interesting. We've got an interesting president. He's on his way out, hopefully. Uh, but he's a very interesting guy. He's got a very interesting 
set of politics. So George Soros uh, funding Black Lives Matter. So again, this is the color. This is kind of a, a color revolution in the United States. So, you know, the American left will sit back and they're all happy to see these uh, Soros financed color re- fake color revolutions in places like uh, Eastern Europe and, and throughout the Middle East and uh, completely fabricated synthetic uh, uh, supposedly progressive movements. So there, but then this also happens in the United States. Uh, same, the same money, these same powerful people are behind moveon.org uh, and by extension behind groups like Black Lives Matter. They get tons and tons of money. So th- when, these, when these groups become militant or militant factions sprout off them, this is exactly what the establishment wants to see. They want to see things go a little bit militant. And this, what does this do in the end? We'll tell you in a second. So Don Lemon at CNN, he's uh, still was still defending the uh, lines on police brutality, uh, despite the fact we had a, a, a allegedly anyway a snipe a black sniper shooting cops. Kind of outrageous. What does this do? This knocks Hillary Clinton right off the headlines. Uh, so at the same time this was going down, uh, James Comey was testifying in front of Congress on actually the same time at the same time. Amazing about Hillary Clinton's uh, emails. Amazing. So that was it. That that helped to absolutely obscure uh, some very damning uh, testimony by the FBI um, about Hillary Clinton. So her, her reputation remained intact because of this improbable black sniper event uh, in Dallas. It's pretty incredible stuff. So what else have we got in terms of talking points? Um, that's kind of it. So where does this lead us to in the big picture? Let's take a look. So it does it absolutely takes Hillary Clinton off the headlines. Uh, and so first, let's look at let's look at how this affects uh, the the left. The left will then be crying out for gun control now uh, because this person was using, we're told anyway, a high powered uh, uh, long distance uh, rifle. Now, for a sniper to do a job like that and not have a reconnaissance on, to plan it out, basically, and to have such an amazing hit rate, well, you would ta- it would take a long time. Uh, it would take, you need a few days, at least 48 hours. So this was a snap protest. So this brings up red flags for me straight away. Uh, was there planning involved? There would have to have been planning involved. Um, there were multiple shooters, we're told. And then all of a sudden, as if by magic, uh, just yesterday night, they changed the, the media, law enforcement, everyone drops the multiple shooters reports, and they stop and they say, no, it was a lone gunman. It was a lone gunman. It was Micah X was the lone gunman. Nice and smooth, nice and easy. We'll break down uh, that and more uh, after the break. Uh, if you're listening to this on ACR, or 21st Century Wire, or SoundCloud, uh, you can go and hear the next hour. Uh, if you just go to 21wire.tv and hit subscribe, become a member, and subscribe, and you'll be able to hear the full broadcast there for members only. And in addition to this um, broadcast and to this podcast, which we're putting out fortnightly on the QT. There's a number of other premium 
members content uh, programs up there at 21wire.tv, the new series Insight. This is in-depth analysis uh, talk show and panel discussion show, which we're producing. Very nice show with the UK column and Insight Vox, one-on-one interviews. Uh, but also, we've got a very something very special this week. And uh, we're going to make this available just for members and subscribers only. This is a sneak preview of a new documentary film production. Uh, this is a production I've worked on with the UK Column. Uh, and it is a powerful documentary feature length. Uh, it's an hour and 10 or an hour and 15 minutes. And it's called Slaughtered on Suspicion. It is an investigation into the foot and mouth crisis. If you know what I'm talking about, if you're in the UK or Europe, uh, 2001, the foot and mouth crisis in Great Britain. Uh, we did an in-depth investigation on location filming, beautiful documentary, but powerful and, and quite harrowing, to be honest. Uh, going back and watching it, uh, it I can't believe um, what we heard and documented making that film. And it's a good, it's a very good piece of documentary film. But this is, we're going to do a sneak uh, preview of the director's cut of, of Slaughtered on Suspicion, uh, for Twenty One Wire members only, and uh, it's got an original music score, which was uh, composed by an Italian uh, film composer who's a big talent, up and coming talent in the business. But wow, uh, I was, you know, I hadn't watched the final cut, um, but this was the director's cut, uh, which I recently managed to get because we finished processing a few things but um we're going to share that with our members and that's that's what we're going to hopefully do throughout the year so we get something special we're going to share it with our members some things will be exclusively for members only other things will eventually make public uh there's another program as well called the column commute this is the morning commute which we're filming in uh on the way to the uk column studio every morning uh, where we talk politics uh, and this is in the car, and it's using a, a like a GoPro camera, and it's uh, it's turned out to be really interesting. I'll put the uh, some of the first segments of that funny ones anyway up on Twenty One Wire TV, and that's for again for members only. Uh, we'll be able to see that. I'll play some clips from the column commute uh, in the second part of this podcast. Actually, I've got I'll, I'll rip some audio off uh, from the column commute, and we'll we'll share that with you here on the QT. So, uh, but uh, if you're listening uh, on 21st Century Wire at ACR, this is the free broadcast. But if you want to hear the full uh, second hour, uh, just go to 21wire.tv. And I'm your host, Patrick Hennings, and we'll see you on the other side. Tune in Sundays at noon Eastern Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the Sunday Wire for three hours of action-packed talk radio on 21stCenturyWire.com and AlternateCurrentRadio.com. This is Patrick Henningsen, and you're listening to On the QT at 21wire.tv. 
accessing confidential data. Welcome back to On the QT at 21wired.tv. I'm Patrick Kenningson. Thanks for rejoining us. Uh, if you're listening now, you're or recently a member or subscriber of 21wired.tv. I just want to say thank you very much uh, for your support. And it's been your support uh, which has helped us to actually launch this this platform. And this is a primarily designed uh, 21wired.tv for members and subscribers. You know, down the road, uh, there will be some more free content available. And there's quite a bit up there right now. Uh, we've, we've got our editorial uh, team at 21st Century Wire. Thanks to everybody's uh, curated number of really good short films, beautiful short films. Uh, so we found uh, some nice ones, and we've, we're sharing those with people publicly uh, and on the, on the channel. And also uh, some other film projects, including a documentary project, uh, which is you'll be able to see, because if, if you're listening now, you are a subscriber and a member, which is called Slaughtered on Suspicion. This is the director's cut. I worked, I co-directed, co-produced this film with a very talented investigator named Malcolm Massey from the UK Column. And uh, I, um, Malcolm has just done an amazing job. Um, he wrote, directed, and edited this film. Uh, I helped on direction and also on filming, cinematography, and, and co-produced it uh, with Malcolm and the UK Column. It's a great piece of documentary film, and it's pretty powerful. Uh, so I do recommend people, if you're listening to this, uh, to pop over on Sunday. This will be the Sunday screening. Uh, this week will be Slaughtered on Suspicion, uh, the director's cut. Now be Well, members will get to see that first and get a preview of that. So do check that out. Um, so back to the story. Let's get back to Dallas. Micah X. What's going on? He's now the lone gunman. He's been killed by a robot, launched by police. So all the loose ends seem to be tied up. All it's all good. It's all it's all nice and tidy. Dallas snipers, and we have a illustration at Twenty First Century Wire that says Gladio All Stars on it. So we did sort of a sporting a sporting uh, theme for Dallas because uh, believe it or not, a lot of people aren't aware of this. And uh, only members and subscribers will know this because I'm telling you only right now. But uh, Dallas has a uh, semi-professional hockey team. Uh, I don't. It's not NHL, but it's in lower leagues. And the name of their hockey franchise or hockey club is the Dallas Snipers. So there you go. So you, <laughs> you see our our little illustration up there, and and uh, we've got an actor and shooter X and a RoboCop. Uh, in that illustration, and this is uh, Daily Shooter Events Incorporated. So, little tongue in cheek, but it, it, it's it's funny on one level because it, what's funny is how they're trying to sell this to the public constantly. These mass shootings, these supposedly events of outrage, have become commodities. They've commodified the mass shooting in America. They've commodified the terrorist. Uh, bust or the, the so-called domestic terrorist event has been commodified and who's in control really of this these events these aren't grassroots events um, hardly any of them if if any of them truly are uh, in almost every instance uh, 
every single group, every single movement, every activist group from mid-major to major in the United States since World War II include unions, civil rights groups, uh, political action groups, activist groups, right-wing patriot groups, militia groups, uh, left-wing groups, environmental groups, uh, from the Weather Underground to probably Greenpeace, and just about anybody you can think of in America, Occupy, Black Lives Matter, the New Black Panthers, the Black Panthers. They've all been infiltrated by the FBI through the practice of confidential informants. Every single group, every single white supremacist group, every single anti-fascist group, they're all run at some level by a confidential informant or member of someone working for the FBI or a special branch of the state police. And I think this will probably be the case in Europe as well. So that means what we see out there in our street activism, uh, much of it is directed because there are so many players involved. Okay, and when I say players, some of these are paid players. A lot of, and, and ex-military, etc., etc. So, you, so you're probably saying, well, God, who can I trust? My answer to that is you, trust, you can trust nobody. Okay, especially in the world of politics. And if it's a movement, it's political. If it's a movement or some sort of activist group, it's automatically political, okay? This is why generally I like to stay away from political groups because, uh, and I definitely don't belong to any, uh, because to me it's they're so easy to co-opt uh, and steer and infiltrate. And there's always people within the groups that are trying to nudge it in certain directions or steer it in certain directions or make it go more radical or do something crazy, and uh, and and then these groups end up, uh, you know, getting um, undermined in that way. So here we are in Dallas, and supposedly the shooter belongs to a radical left-wing black militant group. Perfect for the story, Micah X. So, firstly, so I'll 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 just share with you what my analysis was on the Dallas Maidan situation. Firstly, Dallas uh, will further accentuate what is absolutely an artificial divide uh, between what Americans perceive as their left or liberal wing of the political society uh, and also what's sold as America's right or conservative wing of political society. This is the dialectic, Democrat versus Republican. And we can say liberal versus conservative we can say young versus old. Uh, certainly with the EU referendum, this was a, a divide that the, uh, the establishment was trying to accentuate, was young versus old or millennial versus old or city dweller versus rural person or uh, urbanite versus uh, heartland. Okay, black versus white, rich versus poor, upper class versus middle class. Middle class versus lower class. Lower class versus other lower class. White lower class versus black lower class. You see, every single possible permutation, uh, subcompartment of society, LGBT versus conservative. You know, just every week there'll be a new group that will sprout out or a new subgroup. Okay. 
and this creates confusion. Uh, there can then be no consensus amongst the people as to what direction to go, and this automatically benefits um, the power structure. So in the run-up to the presidential election in November, this division is absolutely key. What does it do? What does it do? What, what did the EU referendum do? They, 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 they controlled the discussion nationally in the UK. They made it all about immigration and jobs. Fear on both sides, on the leave and the remain side. Fear of immigration and jobs. Fear of losing jobs. Fear of too much immigration. Uh, f- economic fears. And then this was also spun into, in certain quarters, into kind of a xenophobic brand of fear of uh, you know, Muslims uh, invading and taking over the country, etc. Okay, so that, that they use that to great effect in Europe, and it's very effective, working very well. So in America, they have to do the same thing. They have to polarize the American people, and they have to do this uh, along prefabricated dialectical lines. Okay, and that keeps what it does and what it did in Europe, what it's doing in Europe, it keeps the national discussion down at a base level. Okay, right down at a sort of base emotional, emotive level. And, and, and for this, the, the, power, the power structure, uh, those in charge like it down there because they can manage that. They can then play people off against each other. And when people are fighting each other, they're not paying attention to any of the real issues or trying to solve some of the fundamental institutional problems and and fight institutional corruption, which is absolutely endemic right now in today's society. All the extreme policy flaws, all the the, the gravy train that is big government, okay, they can maintain this, their corrupt system by imposing a binary, uh, situation, a binary situation uh, that's at a base level where people are fighting each other over pre-subscribed lines of division, which are fake. They're totally illusory, left and right, liberal, conservative, completely fabricated, totally fake. Illusion. It's total illusion. This is high magic by the power elite, okay? And by keeping the national discourse way down there, no real examination of any of America's fundamental issues or the federal or the federal government in the US the federal government's unsustainable crack habit which is the bloated borrow and spend habit that the US federal government has they don't want people looking at this they don't want them talking about it so all these very convenient uh, uh Events, emotive events keep popping up and the media does their job to basically hold them up and keep them in public view for long enough until they exhaust whatever the storyline is out of it. And they've squeezed every drop of political capital they can out of any particular police shooting or march or these ridiculous, uh, what's a, it's in a ridiculous scenario here in Dallas. There's no other way to describe it. It's completely ridiculous. Okay. So basically, by doing this, by keeping us busy with our bread and circuses, our purge, our purge films, okay, this is, allows the, the establishment to kick the can down the road for another four years in the United States, which is the norm. So ultimately, this serves the state, and it serves the bureaucratic stakeholders, 
and it serves the power structure as a whole. Those are the beneficiaries. Okay, the people don't benefit. Let's see who else benefits. So <clears throat> let's see who else can benefit out of this. So the this event in Dallas, this so-called horrific uh, tragedy, which we're not sure exactly what happened, but we have to take the media's word for whatever it is, even though even if that word seems to change according to law enforcement and the media changes every 24 hours, we still have to take their word for it. So they're nudging the left wing, and they're able to, because this is a, a shooter using a high-powered so-called rifle, we're told anyway, they're able to nudge the left wings uh, in the Democratic Party's own gun control agenda. So <clears throat> that's being aggressively pursued at the moment. There was a huge uh, filibuster right in the wake of the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting, which uh, after we investigate, look at the... Uh, what the Department of Justice released and the police, uh, we can't see much evidence that the shooter shot people inside the nightclub. It seems like, well, going by the authorities' records anyway, most of the people were shot during the police barrage of gunfire when they backed a tank into the back wall of the nightclub to knock the wall down and started opening all guns blazing. This looks like this is when most of the people died. This is interesting, 49 people. But anyway, nonetheless, who cares about facts or forensics? Uh, because we've got a narrative to sell. So, uh, big, big move in Congress uh, by the Democrats to ram through to use Orlando, to use the PR leverage from Orlando to push through their emergency legislative agenda on gun control. So they've demonstrated they have no qualms in using a national incident or a tragedy f to advance. Uh, a political agenda on an emotive wave. That is a dangerous thing. Okay. So ironically, this is, these are, so we're talking about left-wing uh, black activists who are armed, who they're going to be blamed for this latest incident in Dallas. And uh, this will unfortunately be used <laughs> against conservative America much to their dismay, uh, to advance the gun control agenda. So <clears throat> there you go. Lose, lose. So, uh, so again, this, these provocateurs, uh, these people who are completely outrageous on their face, uh, these militant uh, armed activists, whether they're on the right wing or the left wing, uh, who purport to be anti-police, anti-government, African-American militants, black power militants, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's the same on the right as, as, with the right-wing militias. There's no difference, okay? So the, these activists or people will be painted in a poor light, as they usually are. They'll be marginalized. Anything associated with them will be further marginalized. And then uh, once this process um, is complete, um, then the state can move in to extend... Uh, the marginalization of that particular political group, in this case it's militant black power activist here with, with gun, uh, but they can expand it beyond that. They can, they can then, once they've marginalized one group through a, this sort of phony synthetic event, they then can extend the marginalization to anybody who is, quote, anti-government or including any anti-government protests. And this is this further... This is the neutering process of real grassroots opposition. 
for what is obviously a rapidly growing uh, corporatized police state in the United States. So you see how this event is being used in the long run by the state, will be used by the establishment to restrict freedoms, to empower the police state, to marginalize anybody who is deemed anti-government, and then the big whopper will be uh, to restrict abilities to protest on the street because uh, it might be considered a, a safety issue. After all, we could have snipers lodged in key positions, military-trained snipers, actually, who are just they just grow on trees, I guess, but they will be up there in book depositories in Dallas, Texas, uh, taking pot shots at police, police who are out there doing their job to help uh, facilitate the freedom of, of uh, speech, assembly, and expression in America. Well, they're going to have they're going to try to dial that back now because of a safety reason. So if you're if you're a, a deep state actor and you want to keep the people from protesting on the street, then what if you staged a fake sniper event or a real sniper event? Doesn't matter. It could be real or fake. Shot a few cops, and then you could then inject the talking point through media, through political officials saying, well, maybe we need to put a pause on these street protests because it's a safety issue. Well, you can protest, but you'll need to, everyone, will, everyone who protests will need to be vetted. They'll need to have a, a, a wear, they'll need to wear a lanyard around their neck saying they've been vetted and then they can be out there and they've signed uh, some sort of waivers or something. Uh, so they're not going to sue the city for providing security, et cetera, et cetera. They'll just say, no, you can't do it full stop because uh, it's a it's a it's a safety issue. But you can protest. But can you do it out in that field, which is 20 miles outside of town? And we're going to have to put a fence up. You're going to have to pay for it. Uh, and and we have to have metal detectors. So everyone you can we'll build a little prison for you out in the middle of nowhere. And you can go protest in that little temporary prison like a, you know, a Glastonbury festival or something. Uh, but once you go in there and then you come out and it's over, but you, you know, that way we can make sure you're safe from snipers, right? Or, and that our, our police are safe too. I mean, where is this going to head? It's hard to, it's hard to see. It's hard to tell right now, but I think pretty safe looking at the long, just looking at long-term trend markers. Uh, I see rights and, uh, Freedom of assembly and expression, free speech, it's, it's just gradually going down. And I see uh, police state going up. So these are the, these are the clear long-term trend markers. They're undeniable, and it's bad news uh, for America. So lastly, let's get to what, what else have we got here? Well, increased tension. Here's the other one. Uh, this is increased tension between law enforcement and the public. This is what this is another legacy of this. Um, what I what it looks to me like a very synthetic event. Okay, now uh, this is changing the relationship. So this is a a, a provocateur event, which does, is designed and has the effect of changing the relationship between people and law enforcement. This is a very fundamental, important thing. Okay, increasing tension, and uh, so that's. So there's difference. So the short-term and the long-term narratives are running parallel. Let me explain. In the short-term, this Dallas sniper event was originally designed, even if whether you believe it was real or not, it doesn't matter. 
The fact is it was designed as a reaction to U.S. police killing poor, unarmed black men in the streets of America. Okay, that's the short-term narrative. Now, think of that narrative. Just imagine here. Think of that narrative as a pendulum. And it's now swung over there. And this is the anger, the public anger, the outrage, killing black men, unarmed, police brutality. The police are killing all these people. It's terrible. We're outraged. That's the pendulum swinging that way over to the left. Okay. And it's not a big swing. It's just a little swing. Okay. Now, the energy from that swing to the left, what do pendulums do? It's the energy from one side creates the swing to the next side and so on and so forth. So the long-term narrative of this, after the pendulum is done swinging to its uh, apogee uh, on the arc on the left, it will then swing back hard onto the right. The long-term pendulum swing swings back to where? To the state. To the state in order to restore law and order. The reconsolidation of power into a more highly concentrated, highly networked, DHS umbrellaed police state. That, my friends, is the long-term swing of that pendulum. And the geniuses and uh, political, I don't know what to call them, experts, they call themselves experts. They're too stupid to see this. And they're too ensconced in their own partisan um, political realities that they've constructed and they've built their careers around to see that reality, okay? I'm telling you this because this is what all the long-term trend markers show. It's undeniable. We're, this is an, I'm looking at an epoch. They're looking from day to day. They're looking at polls, polls that change every minute. I'm looking at the epoch, okay? And the epoch to me is, is showing a more concentrated and highly mechanized robotic police state. More and more and more. Federally managed from the top down to the local level, okay? No one's up in arms about this because they've all been brainwashed into thinking that uh, they, they, they're a proud, do-paying member of the liberal left or they're a do-paying member of the conservative right. People are not smart, generally, uh, who subscribe to political left and right. Um, they basically are signing off their brain at the door as soon as they step through the door of that left-wing world or right-wing world. You're signing away your brain. You're voluntarily lobotomizing yourself by going through that. So I can comment on it and on both sides, but I'm, I'm not doing that from a membership point of view. Uh, being a member of the left, liberal left, or the conservative right. I'm looking at specific issues. But I'll comment on what they're doing, but I don't I don't belong to them uh, either side. So they might say, well, Patrick, you've got left-wing views. Well, according to you, I probably do on some issues. And they'll say, no, Pat, you got right-wing views. Well, according to you, I do have right-wing views on certain issues. But I don't belong to your club on the left or the right. Let's get that very clear. So, so let's say this, this, this relationship between law enforcement and the public, this is evidenced already. This is an us, in, us against them 
narrative that is now being pushed by law enforcement, not just in America, but around the world. How do I know this? Scotland police tweets out this tweet called, the, it says, the thin blue line, uh, blah, 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 Dallas, right? Or brothers in arms in Dallas or whatever. Okay, this term, the thin blue line that police use. Where does this come from? Let's do a little bit of uh, the genealogy of this particular term. The, the term, the thin blue line, it's a colloquial policing term, okay? And I think this has its roots in Europe, although I might be wrong. But the thin, this is in reference to the thin red line, okay? The thin red line, it's basically, that describes the Battle of Balaklava, which was part of the Crimean War in the mid-19th century. So the Highland Infantry Brigades of, of the British Empire fought against all odds to hold the thin red line, outnumbered, outgunned, against a, a you know, invading hordes, the Russian hordes, so, so the narrative goes. So this is, this is from, I'll just read this uh, from Wikipedia. The thin red line has become an English language figure of speech for a thinly spread military unit holding firm against attack. The phrase has also taken on a metaphorical meaning of a barrier which the relatively limited armed forces of a country uh, present to potential attackers. So you can see the symbolism here. Thin blue line comes from thin red line, and this is us against them holding back the hordes. So this is essentially what the police are saying when they evoke, invoke the, 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 the thin blue line. They're, what they're invoking is us against them. It's us protecting you know, civilization from the invading hordes. That is exactly the symbolism when you drill down to the psychology behind that term, okay? It's very emotive, and uh, I, I think it's, it's a highly uh, volatile term in my, in my mind, okay? It's, it's, it's basically miles away from protect and serve. Okay, protect and serve is more of a peace officer-oriented slogan. What we have, especially in America, in terms of the mechanization, the mechanized police in the 21st century, it's not protect and serve anymore. Okay, and it's events like this that help, that have helped to harden and create the modern police state. It's events like Fox Lake, the hoax uh, outside of Chicago last September, a fake. Uh, cop killing that they made up and it became the national media story for at least two or three days hunting these uh, uh, fictional um, guys that uh, allegedly killed a cop the whole thing was fake it was just one giant drill it was one interagency drill to, to basically show their flex their interagency muscle uh, and their fusion centers and show how quickly they can lock down a community and go house-to-house searches. That was Fox Lake. A lot of people haven't heard of that, aren't aware of that, but it was completely bogus, okay? And the amount of media that went up there to cover that thing, who had no clue what they were covering, who were just going along for the establishment line on that, we called it a hoax from the beginning. We called it a drill, actually, as it happened. And it turns out we were right. They did a full backpedaling on it. Said, oh, we actually, we didn't know what happened. And no one killed this cop. And they said, hey, he committed suicide and made it look like he was killed. So who knows what really happened to the poor 
uh, G.I. Joe. His, his nickname was G.I. Joe at Fox Lake. You can go look look that one up, 21st Century Fox Lake. Poor G.I. Joe. Who knows what happened to him? Maybe he stumbled on a, a drug cartel stash or something, and they, they popped him and dropped him, and uh, then made, up, made this huge uh, production around his death to uh, uh, divert from the fact that it's an utterly corrupt uh, uh, police department there in Chicago. Who knows what happened, okay? But it's important to understand the symbolism that's being evoked here. Uh, by the law enforcement. This is also, I'm going to add, part to to reinforce the cult of uh, the first responder. Okay, the cult of the first responder. What is the cult of the first responder? Ever since 9/11, there's been this this term, first responder, first responder, and they keep repeating this over and over. This is becoming a kind of a global thing, and because of 9/11, we're meant to kind of you know. Defer always to the, to the first responder. These are the greatest people. They're running towards trouble and so forth. These gallant men and women of the first responder. Okay, and uh, whether the white helmets in uh, in in, in Al Nusra Front uh, territory or they're these first responders we see on all these uh, highly uh, politicized and uh, staged uh, mass shooting media events and so forth in America. Okay, the cult of the first responder. You mustn't question the first responder. We need to give as much money to first responder drills. We need more active shooter drills to get these first responders out. They're creating this self-perpetuating culture here in America. And this costs money, by the way. This is not free. All this stuff costs money. And they'll say it's great because it's creating jobs. You know, these drills are creating jobs. All these shooting events, you know, it's showing that we really need these uh, agencies and all these interagency drills and all this new equipment and this high tech, this and that. Okay, they're building a mechanized um, police state. It's not just police. Okay, pretty soon firemen will be armed, ambulance drivers will be armed, or they'll have armed security with them because of safety concerns to protect the first responders. You see how it's going. So, how many of these events are actually genuinely real? How many of them are organic, grassroots, mass shooting events, or sniper events? How many of them? We've covered quite a few of these at uh, at 21st Century Wire. Many others have too. And I'm listing all these events out. You know, whether it's Lafayette, or Nashville, or Oregon, Umqua College, San Bernardino, Orlando Pulse. All of these events have got some very dodgy elements. Garland, Texas. Texas is the capital, I guess. Of you, know, you can get away with a lot in Texas, apparently. Garland, Texas, one of the biggest fake terrorist attacks ever. I mean, this thing was so poorly produced. If you go back, go look up Garland, Texas. They just happen to have a, a, a Navy SEAL team or... Um, off-duty Navy SEALs or special forces on on standby as these terrorists uh, rolled up to a Mohammed cartoon drawing contest bankrolled by Pamela Geller of the Israeli lobby fame. Oh, and these terrorists just happened to drive all the way from Arizona. They shot them as they got out of their car. Luckily, we had 40 trained armed security on, on hand for this Mohammed drawing contest because 
just just like that, ISIS shows up. And uh, one of them was managed by a FBI informant, actually, one of the so-called uh, ISIS-inspired uh, terrorists at Garland, Texas. Go ahead and look that one up. Uh, put that into Google. 21st century Garland, Texas. Um, so Texas is a good a good place for, for these sort of events. Don't know why. I think you can get away with quite a lot in Texas. But uh, the cult of the first responder, let's get back to that. So, hey, we're all for first responders. We, we all for, we're all for uh, medical workers, EMTs, firemen. We're all for police. We love them all, okay? But the lionization of them, the sort of the way that they're um, being promoted, I think this was part of this is, has to do with the Pentagon. After years of uh, mass troop deployments in both Iraq and Afghanistan and two highly unpopular wars, uh, they worked really hard to um, inflate the uh, the sort of the profile, the social profile of a lot of soldiers uh, being deployed, coming back for what are, you know, for the most part, pretty unpopular wars. And it worked really well, I think, uh, created a new kind of hardcore pro-war, uh, uh, neoconservative, uh, hardcore foreign interventionist uh, group of people in America, the media, Hollywood definitely behind that. Um, but but also a lot of these people have gone to work in, in police as well, in security and, and working as first responders and so forth. So th- I, I think this same public relations uh, program by the Pentagon has seeped into the domestic uh, setting, U.S. domestic uh, society, which is becoming militarized. So you can see the connection here, this transition. So, you know, taking this war economy that you developed overseas and you try to try and then to, with the same corporations, the same companies, all this technology, personnel, management, supply, supply lines, supply chains is all being basically... Uh, rolled out in the domestic uh, society, in domestic United States. So eventually they want to make sure that people believe anyway that the U.S. is a war zone, that every single shopping mall, every single town, every single school, uh, every single train station, every single airport is a war zone, that we're at war. Like So basically the United States of Israel. This is, this is the idea. And when you have the United States of Israel... 24 hours, seven day a week, 365 day security threat. Uh, then you need that whole economy to plug into that. You need personnel. You need guns, equipment, surveillance, first responders, uh, all sorts of kit. Endless. Okay. So this is what happens. This is what America is getting into, and they have their new uh, gendarmerie in America, which is the Department of Homeland Security. So nationalized police force. I think this is one of the uh, things that will, that there is definitely an agenda going for this as well. Uh, and then we talk about Operation Gladio. Gladio All-Stars. What was Gladio? But staged terror, real or fake, doesn't matter, but it's designed to advance a strategy of tension. That's what Operation Gladio was between the 19, late 1950s to the 1990s. Many will argue that uh, it's still in play. 
that Operation Gladio never finished. I agree with that 100%. How do I know it, it never finished? You can tell something will never finish if no one's ever been in any government program or any clandestine program that went south. No one's ever been brought in front of a hearing or been made to answer any questions, serious questions about it in public. Therefore, it that means that's more or less the nod that can continue. Gladio is still operational. Uh, who knows what it's called now? Uh, who knows what the name of the file or the, 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 the subgroup is within police intelligence or who, who's in charge of it? But it, it's still it's still happening. I look at all these bombings, whether they're Istanbul, the, the, the shady timing used to nudge people in certain directions geopolitically or Saudi Arabia or Baghdad or Dallas. To me, it's all... Gladio style, okay? It's Gladio style. So who knows who's running it, what it's called, what the file's called, what the confidential classified, whatever. It's Gladio style, okay? So it's designed to advance a strategy of tension. And within that tension, within that environment of tension, the state can further consolidate power. And it can also manipulate people, countries, Communities and political uh, chessboards can be manipulated through these alleged terror attacks. Okay? And time and time again, they've been proven, and we've demonstrated on this podcast and many other shows and numerous articles and pointed to other people's work, scholarly work. Time and time again, it's been proven that this has been not the work of terrorists, Okay, but of the security and intelligence services or subcontractors therein. Fact, historical fact. So if that's been proven time and time again, why wouldn't you consider it today when looking at any of these highly dubious events, including the Dallas sniper event? Why not consider that we might what, what we're looking at here is not the act of a terrorist, but something else? designed to elicit a political response, to advance a strategy of tension, to realign politics, or to capitalize on an agenda. And much of the time, we don't even know what that agenda is, because this is all going on behind the dark. What we do know is that we're being manipulated. We're being lied to over and over and over again. These the, the number of uh, There's been a number of dirty state-sponsored programs Okay, and it's they're they're running to this day in one form or another. Okay, what can we expect? Expect the political rhetoric uh, to increase in the run up to the Republican and the Democratic national conventions of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Expect thousands of people to be maybe protesting Trump. But you know what? Actually, the funny beneficiary of Dallas, believe it or not. I know this is going to upset some people who don't like Trump, but it, this isn't myself making a, a pejorative remark. <clears throat> I'm just saying that uh, this event in Dallas has clipped the wings of the militant left-wing activist groups that have been sent to uh, <clears throat> uh, instigate trouble uh, at Trump rallies and and stop traffic and 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 
you know, basically being violent with people. So those fake left-wing activists for hire from moveon.org or wherever are being used to clamp down on everybody's rights to assemble and protest, okay? Rent a protester has been used to take away everybody's rights, okay? All the students who need that $20 in a sandwich and a bus ticket, or some of them paid more, uh, by the way, Some of them paid much more. Some of them paid annual salaries to be professional agitators. Um, they are being used as props, as actors, to basically uh, allow this, give the state license to restrict everybody's constitutional rights in the United States and around the world under the guise of public safety or security under the fake uh, pretenses of domestic terrorism. That is what is happening, without a doubt. And uh, I'm just going to probably grab a a clip here from uh, the column commute. So this is myself and Mike Robinson on the way to work. And you can see this. uh, We'll have this up at 21wire.tv. I'll have some of the video up there for you later today. So thank you for joining us and uh, enjoy the column commute. For the final minutes of this podcast, this is on the QT. So, did you uh, did you see Tony Blair's performance? Then? Did he did he talk? I heard. Oh some, yes, I heard some oh, clips yes. on the radio. He spoke all right. Uh, was he was he crying? Um, <clears throat> did he? Shed he was a crying. Tear? He was he was crying for himself. Was he shedding tears? No, no. He was okay. close to it. Close, almost. Almost. He almost. was. He was. I think he was genuinely affected by it. So um, the, the the gravity of the situation, the gravity of public opinion, hit him. Um, I think that what has hit him is the implications for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was completely determined to defend what he had done. Yeah. He was determined to uh, say that the world is a better place now that Saddam is gone. I've heard that line before. This uh, is an interesting line. He uh, he said he takes full responsibility for all the decisions that were made. And he said things like, you know, people will never know how much I regret this and all this kind of stuff. And his bottom lip was quivering. And it, he looked a bit second-hand, I have to say, uh, Patrick. But uh, there is no question in my mind that... Uh, what he was, uh, if he was suffering, he was suffering for himself on his own behalf, mm. not on behalf of anybody else. Yeah. Tony Blair. Tony Blair. A complicated man. Complicated man. Some some people have classed him as a kind of. Uh, uh, a gopher for the elites. I've heard different terms used. A gopher for the elites. Is, is that an accurate characterization of this guy? I mean, he's not a he's not landed aristocracy. I don't think he's related to the royal family, although I might be wrong or whatever. But but he's a guy who has gotten things done for his benefactors throughout his career. He's he's pushed agendas through. He's been a guy who can deliver, right? So, that's so his, he's an he is an operative. 
uh, and he's kind of been rewarded for that after politics, but, you know, he is, Tony Blair is a metaphor for so many uh, people in similar positions, whether they be in corporate or politics. Um, a lot of a lot of words have been used, like sellout and all sorts of stuff. But is, isn't he? Isn't the archetype of Tony Blair? Isn't it? It's not uncommon in today's world. I think uh, Tony Blair is the archetypal useful, useful idiot, as uh, Julian Middleton likes to call him. He um, is the type that gets deployed to do a particular job. He was, as we know, he was taken hand-in-hand, skipping along hand-in-hand with uh, Kenneth Clark to Bilderberg. He's only been to Bilderberg once. He was brought there by by Kenneth Clark. uh, And And skipping hand-in-hand in 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 Texas with George Bush as well. He was Yes, but I would. I, I mean, perhaps I'm wrong, but but I kind of see George Bush as being the same type of character. You know, he's not, but, George Bush isn't clever enough to make but, decisions on his own. But slightly higher up on the uh, pecking order, Harriman, Harriman family, you know, married into the banking Skion elite. So the Bushes are of slightly higher station, let's say, uh, than maybe the Blairs. But uh, but yeah. Yeah, so Tony's been put in, always in key positions his whole career. Yes. And there is no bigger decision than taking a country to war. And but the the other thing the other thing that's interesting is of course that Parliament uh, isn't qualified wasn't qualified to make an assessment on the intelligence because they only had Tony Blair's word for what the intelligence was. And. This is key to at the eleventh hour, at the eleventh hour, literally at the eleventh hour, well, I think eleven p.m. the day the night before, the key guy that, that, that delivered delivered this was Lord Goldsmith, the Attorney General. He rubber stamped it as being plausible or passable in his great legal mind. Right. Right. So that was. From what I remember, everybody was waiting on the knife's edge to, to see what Lord Goldsmith, he had the final, basically that was the last domino was Lord Goldsmith, and that thing fell just as, just as sure as the others did. But people were still waiting for him. So what, what that showed us is that they needed that legal rubber stamp, they needed that legal justification and backing, spurious, spurious as it might be, um, in order to, to sell this to the press, to sell it to the public. And this, the other thing was, militarily, Britain was a minor player. The significance of Britain getting in first, or getting past their democratic system first on Iraq, was that that opened the door, the big door for the United States to barge through, yeah. right behind it. The U.S. could not go it alone. It was absolutely untenable from a global public relations point of view. They needed Britain. They've always, they always need Britain. Britain is the coalition. I've always said this. They can, you can slap together 60 or 70 countries. They've got all sorts of people in their coalition. Angola, the Faroe Islands. It's a joke, okay? Um, you know, New Zealand. And, uh, it, but without, without Britain, without Great Britain in, the, in any coalition, the United States cannot do much, okay? 
they can't call it a coalition. So, so this is an interesting point because one of the other things that Diane Abbott said was uh, that uh, we must never forget that Britain's role in the world is to be uh, Robin to the United States Batman. Yeah, so she's reinforcing. Uh, so reinforcing this notion that we are the second. A false stereotype. Yes. And so. The f- then you have to go back to the old adage, which some some might agree with, some might not, that Britain is the brains, and America is the muscle, and the city of London is the financial engine of the global financial and the system. Policy engine, ultimately. And the ultimately the policy engine. So, to think. America has a bigger GDP. They've got a more powerful economy. By by orders of magnitude, it's bigger. Um, the country's bigger. The military is all powerful. But the, I think, my own opinion is the owner of the system, isn't in America. The owner of the system is, is here. He's here. And just to end this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would have thought that. David Kelly would have been an important part of this inquiry, but I haven't seen any mention of David Kelly in any of the coverage, and I haven't read, clearly haven't read 2.6 million words yet. But the last thing that was said about David Kelly was that uh, these documents will be sealed for the next 70 years. Yeah, that's the last thing we but heard. But without about. without David Kelly in this report, this report is meaningless.